Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, welcome to the Horse Hour Podcast. I'm Amy Stevenson, and it's the first episode of 2017. Today's guest is Joe White from Progressive Ideas, and Joe has a very eclectic role. She does lots for the welfare industry, because that's what we're talking about today is animal welfare and in particular equine welfare. Joe works very closely with Horses for Homes with the British Equestrian Federation, and she researches and writes documents on how you need to look after your horses because it is such a, a diverse and big subject this is horse hour joe how are you i'm fine thank you it's great to talk to you well, well thank you for coming to talk to us we hear a lot about horse welfare a lot about animal welfare in general but particularly I feel like lately horse welfare, equine welfare has really come into the forefront of people's minds. We've talked about it a lot. I've talked about it a lot on the Horse Hour podcast. And I can't work out if it's because we're more in tune with what's going on in the world or we care more. What do you think? Well, I think there's always been people who, who care about animals, but we're in a situation now where it's much easier to get hold of information. We live in this sort of 24 our seven days a week media circle where mm-hmm. you, there's so much information out there which makes it much easier to find things out and I think that that is certainly something that plays a factor in terms of people being able to sort of learn more about equine welfare or animal welfare in general and actually sort of get involved take action and it's you know if you love your animal which you know in, in the main most people who get involved with with horses or, or other animals they get involved because they care for them Mm. and they want to find more out. So they want to find more out and they want to get involved. So I think that that's partly also some of the reason why people are, maybe there's a sort of kind of heightened interest. Plus the researchers are doing a great job. You know, there's a lot of interesting research that's coming out now telling us more about how animals behave, how they live. You know, we're learning stuff all the time. It's, it's, fascinating but also a bit of a job to try and keep up with it all so (laughs) yeah I bet because you've been doing some research at the moment haven't you can you briefly explain about this this document that you're writing (laughs) because it's almost like the welfare bible (laughs) well in terms of the 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 research that I'm involved in it's it's more of a case of doing an assessment of kind of how people feel about the, the the document that's out there at the moment and how they would like to get involved with it. So there is a document which was developed by the National Equine Welfare Council called the Compendium, 
which is a which is a great document. Um, I'm trying to remember what year it was it was first released in, but it's it's been around for a few years. And what it effectively does is provide an overview of what's required in equine welfare from a legislative point of view, but also from a practical point of view. So if you want to make sure you're looking after your horse or donkey or your pony to the best of your ability, you know, the compendium provides you with those key things. So everything from kind of correct watering, housing, exercise, those sorts of things, through to what you legally should have in place. And the, the compendiums are up for review. So because of that, to, and the fact that we're living in this modern world that's ever changing and lots of technology, they've decided to do a review to, to basically look at how we can make sure it works most effectively for people mm-hmm. and to get more to, to those people who may not be aware of it because it's, it's well used within the equine welfare sector but we want to make sure that it's also accessible to the public as well. So, Well, absolutely, because by the time you get to the equine welfare sector, we're kind of hoping we don't need that sector. It would be so good for people to be able to have the knowledge and the education beforehand so that we don't even need to get to the charities that end up having to help these poor animals. Yeah, I mean, that's the ultimate. In terms of any charity, that is the ultimate thing, is actually making them all, you know, for... People who work in equine welfare, our ultimate goal is to make ourselves redundant because, you know, that would be fantastic if we weren't needed anymore. And also it's it's being able to help people and support people so that they can look after the animals in the best way. Because, you know, in the end, you know, people live busy lives. It's difficult to try and keep up with the latest thinking or the latest information on on what we found out now about, you know, how animals may be better cared for. So, by having this sort of access to information prepared by experts, it is another resource. And, mm-hmm. you know, we'd like to make sure that that's accessible to people across the country. What's fascinating is that we have our own traditional values, our own traditional thoughts of ways of doing things. And it's so good to hear that things do change. Your your experts' opinions change over time as more research is done and there's more science proving, you know, proving what may be years ago the right way of doing things may not necessarily be the right way now. So we, I guess, have to be bothered enough to actually be proactive to educate ourselves. Yeah, I mean, it's the, and, and that's the thing is it kind of takes time and effort. And like, even if people want to, and, like, you know, there is so much out there that people, you know, for people to read. So actually, if they can find a resource or a, a point where they can go, right, okay, I know that this is trustworthy information. I know, I, you know, what I'm going to read here is going to be something that's a summary rather than kind of having to read everything and, and more. But it's a summary of kind of the latest thinking. And, you know, you're right in terms of what you say about kind of things things change, but also some of the, the the information and the ideas from way back in the past are actually really sound still today. I and mean, you kind of think about things like written by, you know, people like Xenophon in whatever it was, BC. <laughs> you know, some of those things still stand true today. And it's, it's fascinating you know, when you kind of look into it. No, oh, absolutely. Is the, is the Compodium something that is in the public domain at the moment? Can we search for it and find it? Yeah, if you're on the National Equine Welfare Council Nuke website... You can find it there. Basically, it's downloadable. So you can look at the the version that's kind of been out for a little while. But also, if you've got any thoughts or you would be interested in providing any feedback, you know, please get in touch, you know, send an email 
I probably should give an email address that people can contact to. So maybe that's something I can, something we can put up there because nuke my, my. I don't want to bombard them before. That's okay. The, uh, can we contact you on Twitter? Twitter's probably not the the best. Okay, way. I'll tell you what. If I give you a, an, I'll give you an email address for. Okay, that would be great. Thank you. Yeah. This is the thing, Joe. when I think about welfare and I think of all the charities and the help and I feel completely bombarded with so much. I just feel like there's so, so much that I want to do to help that I can't do. And we're very passionate as a community, as an industry. We love our animals. We want to see that everyone's treated the right way and all, all our horses are treated the right way. But there are times when you might have a very, very lovely person in the yard that maybe has a horse that's too skinny. I mean, oh, what do you do in that scenario do you say you know your horse is, is is a little bit skinny or do you do you not say anything i think it's always a challenge and I, I suppose it depends totally on the particular situation in hand because it it depends if that person is receptive it depends what relationship you have and it also has to be handled carefully because you know there, it's understanding why the situation is occurring you know do you actually know if there's a health problem with the horse? So, for example, there may be a reason why the horse is like that. Do you know its history? So it's kind of always trying to understand what's happening. So, you know, having a chat with somebody and, and finding out more. But I think the thing is, it is difficult because people can be a little bit sensitive mm. about this sort of thing and feel like, you know, someone's criticising them, which can actually create barriers and people actually withdraw and don't want to hear it so I think if someone's looking like they're receptive then you know pointing them in the in the direction of some useful advice about feeding giving them some support maybe even having a chat you know you know they finding things difficult because sometimes it's because people are finding something that they may not know how to to, to deal with the situation the horse has dropped weight and they're not quite sure why and actually talking to someone who's a, a friendly ear might help them find the solution and you know realize that they're they're riding the horse a lot more and their horse isn't isn't getting enough food or maybe mm. they haven't the horse hasn't seen the dentist for a little while and it's actually having a friendly chat and I think that that sort of relationship building is really important if they're the sort of person, because there is also the other side of it, someone who may not be so receptive, mm. I think it's a case of, you know, you're at a livery yard having a, you know, try the friendly chat. If they're not like, if they're not receptive, then it's, I would have a chat with the, the person who runs the yard. And also, you know, if it, in their worst situation where someone is really blatantly doing something that is against the horse's best interests and welfare, then I think it's it's advisable to ring a welfare organisation and have a chat because welfare organisations will always give you advice from a point of view of when action can and can't be taken. Most people want the best for their horse, so mm. most people will be receptive, but it's just, you know, being sympathetic that they they may be trying to do something, but they just might need a little help, a bit of support sometimes to, to help them go in the right direction. They might not feel they can ask anybody. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'll admit I'm a little bit mouthy. I ask people things all the time. I'm, I'd rather ask the questions to get the answers than because I don't have a clue what I'm doing. So I'm learning. So I'd rather ask those questions than sit and worry all the time that I'm doing the wrong thing. And we do have this fear that other people are going to judge us and do, we don't all know everything. This is such a sensitive subject. We 
when you have people you're surrounded by people that have horses you don't want to upset anybody but at the same time you can be really really worried about the animal there is only one time when i have royally lost the plot with a girl and and i you know i try really hard to be empathetic and understand everybody's positions but she walloped this horse like there is just beyond belief i couldn't believe it she rammed a gate into the horse for no reason and so i couldn't help it she's 16 years old she learned it from somewhere else that's how you treat animals this wasn't the first time it happened it's happened over and over again and so i had to say to her if you carry that on i'm going to be calling the rspca like they need to you can't be around animals when you behave like that luckily she doesn't do that anymore anyway i digress that's not something that we're talking about today so yeah i do totally agree with you joe it's about sussing out the situation and and being very you've got to be so careful with with situations like that because you don't want to offend anybody you know that like you said the horse might have issues but at the same time when you're watching a horse getting progressively skinnier and skinnier and skinnier ultimately is it your morally is it your moral duty to help the horse well I think if you see something and you're aware of it, in the end, I think we all have a moral duty to try and do something to help, you know, animals. They, we have, you know, in the end, it's being their voice. It's kind of they can't, they can communicate, but unfortunately, people don't always listen to how they're communicating. Mm. Um, and they obviously, you know, the human voice is the one that gets heard. So. From that point of view, I think if there is a situation where you're seeing something over a period of time and you know it's clearly things are going wrong, then yeah, I think you know we we have a moral duty to still step in. And I think you know most people who care about animals will want to do something and not turn a blind eye. It's just kind of knowing what to do. And I think if if you know you can have that sort of friendly conversation, but if it, if it's if it's difficult, then seek help seek expert help from somewhere else because you'll do it by doing that you actually are doing something to help the horse by getting an expert involved that support they can give you the guidance but they can also tell you where you can get get help or give you help and the other risk is that you could try think that you're helping this horse and actually you're doing it more damage than good i've, I've heard of situations before where you know horses are are ill they've got an illness and that's why they're so poorly that's why they're so skinny and somebody has gone along and been feeding it and feeding it and feeding it and actually it's made the horse much worse so you know it is seeking the help speaking to the manager on and some scenarios there are some situations where livery yard owners have actually asked them to leave and i never really know whether that's the right thing either because at least if they're on your yard you can keep an eye on the horse and and try and help it but by asking it to leave are you not dismissing that responsibility i think there's always a situation where it's a difficult one isn't it in terms of people who are running a yard a livery yard it's that kind of duty of care putting it bluntly it's a duty of care you know and there is a duty of care within the animal welfare act that you need to take action if you've got that horse under your care you need morally to make sure that something is being done so from that point of view i would always advocate that if someone has a horse on their yard that they they try and have that conversation you know they talk to the person they explain what the situation is that and they and they also find out if there's if there's a problem they're not aware of that they mm. can offer some advice and guidance on 
if there is a serious problem, then they should be advising that the owner gets veterinary attention to the animal because in the end, the vet's the best person to, to give a proper assessment and, and review the situation. If that person is still not, not getting that help for the horse, I do know that you know some people have asked asked people to leave. It's a tricky one because by condoning the situation, the person is is there and not taking action. But if it if it's if it's really serious, then the owner could um, ask that, that you know they're on their premises, so they could say that animal is here. I would like to get the vet to see the animal, and you will be charged accordingly. I mean that's a bit more of um. An extreme approach but it's at least it's taking some action so i think the the owner would the owner of a yard would be in the in the right place to turn around and say look this horse needs attention from a vet i will be getting a vet to the horse and you know unless the person is taking action themselves joe i have to hold myself back sometimes so many times i've wanted to just take these animals and look after them and, and give them a nice home i don't know how you do it yeah, I think the thing is, it's one of those those things where when you see animals uh, in distress, I mean, I've done a lot of work on things like um, the transportation to to slaughter campaign, which oh. is is quite extreme, quite extreme. And people have often asked me, you know, how can you how can you do that sort of work? And I think the thing is, with anything in welfare, you the reason you do it is because you want to make a difference, and there'll always be a horse that gets to you. But what you try and tell yourself is that by doing the work you're doing is that you can you can make a difference to the to the greater number. So it's challenging. I'm not saying it isn't because it, it can be very, very tough. But at the same time, the rewards when you see animals, you know, improvements in kinds of animal welfare. But also when you see people getting it, you know, you see somebody go, oh, yeah, you know, I understand. And, and and they get more out of it and they see sort of the positives as well. I mean, like, mm. it's fantastic seeing, you know, when pe- people themselves are kind of feeling empowered and that they can do more with their animal and it's going right. And they understand more, don't they? They're, again, it's about the education. So that then hopefully we have less of these scenarios, but it still happens and it still happens too much. And I don't know whether it's because I'm getting older, so I, I'm just seeing a lot more of it. But... Like I was going to go to the Beaulieu Road sales where I live is all the new forest horses and you have the Beaulieu Road sales. And um, it's always been in the back of my mind, do I really want to go and see how these horses are sold? Because it's in the forest, it's when they do the new forest pony roundups. And the history myth goes that if the horses aren't sold, then they go off to the man in the van and go to a slaughterhouse. So... I know it goes on. I can't stop it. So I thought, well, I'll just go and see. It might be a nicer. It might be nicer than what we've heard and the history and all the rest of it. And uh, as I phoned my friend and said, "Hey, should we go to the Beauty Road Sales?" And she said, "Have you got a trailer?" And I said, "No, I haven't." And she said, "Well, we're not going out without a trailer because there's no way I'm leaving a horse there." She said, "You can't leave a horse to go to the slaughter." And I said, "Don't be silly. That's just a myth." And she went, "No, no, no, it's not." So I said, "So we would have come back with about fifteen horses because <laughs> we couldn't, couldn't leave them there." Yeah, I, I, it's, yeah, it's, it it is a challenge in terms of the situation with horses that people in terms of the situation for horses and going to slaughter i think you know it's one of those things that really does tug on the the heartstrings mm-hmm. the thought of a, of a horse or a pony going to slaughter but what i would say is about some of the sales is that they 
they are working with a lot of the welfare organisations and there have been improvements on a lot of the sales. So I think that the most important thing is to have that open dialogue and work with people and look to to constantly improving things and developing things. And you know, there are a number of um, welfare organisations who visit those sales and, and work with people on the ground to try and kind of look at ways to con- continually improve animal welfare. In terms of kind of horses being picked up or sold from the sales, I think one of the challenges is we also have to ask a question that goes way before we get to the slaughter question, which is actually why have the animals been bred in the first place? And, you know, from my perspective, I think the question is actually more important is that actually if the animal is going to end up unwanted, maybe the animal should not have been bred in the first place because Mm -hmm. the problem is if (laughs) it's not a particularly nice subject, but, what you don't want is an animal left suffering to be long term in long term suffering. So while in the ideal world, there would be a lovely home for every single horse. That's that's, you know, we're in a situation where welfare organisations are inundated with too many horses. There's too many horses that have been bred. And the reality of the situation is while there's too many horses, that some of those animals will end up going into the slaughter trade because people don't want to buy them, people don't want to pick them up, and the the welfare organisations can only take so many. Mm. So I think the key thing here that kind of people, you know, we all need to think about, we all have a responsibility to think about, is actually it's more important to not breed them in the first place if if there's no you know, nice home for them at the end, then actually maybe they shouldn't you know, you shouldn't be coming into the world in the first place. Are there signs that we're overpopulated with horses? Well, it's at the moment, I think, you know, there's so many different factors involved. Um, and obviously, you know, we've been through tough times economically within the country. People are finding it challenging in terms of keeping horses. But also, you know, a lot of horses have been bred. There is, I think, this historical thing, maybe it's in, in, our, in our DNA in this country, you know, that... We do have horses in our DNA, I think. <laughs> and as a result, you know, there is that temptation to kind of think, oh, yeah, wouldn't it be lovely to have a foal and you know, breed this amazing horse that may go on and do something fantastic in sports world or this lovely foal that, you know, we can have. But the, the reality of the situation is horses are living a lot longer than they yeah, used they to are. be. Yeah. So the problem is, it's like, actually, it's a lot, it's a, commitment you know what might seem like a lovely idea when you've got the horse and get it in foal and then two or three years down the road and you haven't even got to the point where you're even backing the horse and you've had the horse for two or three years Mm. and then circumstances change so yeah I think we we do in this country need to think about the kind of numbers of horses that are being bred and what role they can fulfill so that we can make sure we protect them Exactly, it's getting that balance right. Yeah, because the thing with the new forest sales is they're all wild horses that are owned by commoners. It's a lot of heritage here, yeah. and they put the stallions on the fields. They put the stallions on the forest twice a year, and then they can't work out how many horses are going to breed or not, or what, you know how many foals they're going to have. But at the end of it they sell on the horses and what has been interesting is there there were a few videos from those sales and you said that they're working with the welfare organizations now and the actual selling of them is from what i hear much better than it used to be 
it's just still that end game i still can't get my head around it i don't like the slaughterhouses i don't see the point in it i don't think it's necessary but to be honest i'm kind of going a bit vegan now i think i just it's starting to get off meat and just the whole you know animals are there to cuddle and this mother's day celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from blue nile whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. And to use possibly as a job, but um, yeah, that whole slaughterhouse thing, I just, I can't really get my head around that. And then we could talk, we're going quite deep here, we could yeah. talk about <laughs> welfare for a really, really long time because it's such a huge subject. So the Compodium, which I think is a great piece of kit for educating, we could actually use that going back to if you think that somebody's got an issue with the horse and they necessarily might not necessarily be having any help. um, We could actually use that within our livery yards and say, look, this is our policy. This is our welfare policy within this yard. These are the rules that you have to stick to to look after your horse. And if you're not sticking to those rules, then we will be phoning the local authority. And you can say that in a nice way, you know, it's just this is our this is our livery yard policy. Yeah, totally. And I think that's a that's a really good point. Is like in terms of, you know, pieces like you know, the the compendium that that is a, a document there that could be used could be there for our owners to read when they first come to the yard. You know, they're looking around even when they're looking around, you know, say this this is a document that we've signed up to to help provide some guidelines, some guidance in terms of how we, we should care for the horses hmm. and um you know re- read the document make sure you're happy and you understand it but this is this is the livery yards policy you know that that would be fantastic you know and, and brilliant because <laughs> <laughs> like you were involved in the research you're involved in the research for this new one that's coming out this new compendium when i first got my horse i didn't know what i was doing joe you know i'm not gonna lie i had some riding lessons i knew that you needed to feed them and bath them and put on some rugs but even now i'm still like is that the right rug to use is it is he going to be cold is he going to be too hot and you have some people that over rug all the time so we have been focusing on the skinny horses but you've got laminated horses you have horses that are over 
because I know one at the moment. And poor little man, he's just, it's so mild now and he's just sweating. But the owner thinks that she's, she loves him so much. She's trying to do the right thing for him. Yeah. So how do we educate in a, in a really nice way again? You know, that, okay, she thinks that I'm really mean and that my horse is freezing and her horse is really cosy. So in a situation like that, where one person, they both think that they're right, they both love their horses so much, but they're totally different opinions. It's one of those things, it is, it, it is a challenge, because in the end, a lot of these problems, you know, as you rightly say, have come about because people love their horse and they want to do the right thing, and they probably sit there and worry, should I put the rug on, should I take it off? <laughs> and the weather recently really hasn't helped, because it's like, I see one minute and then mm-hmm. t- tropical the next. <laughs> But I think the thing is, what we have to do is you have to strip it back to what the horse, how the horse has evolved. And yes, you know, there are many breeds and types and we have to take the individual into account. But, you know, going back to how the horse has naturally evolved, the horse has evolved with an amazing coat to cope with weather conditions. They are incredibly hardy animals when it really comes down to it. I mean, I work in countries where they have temperatures down to kind of minus 30, 40 degrees and other countries where it's, you know, the other end. Um, (laughs) And horses, they are tremendously adaptable in terms of how they cope. And I think it's always remembering that, you know, first of all, how would the horse cope with this in in nature and what type of animal have I got in in hand? So, you know, you think about the owner who's over-rugging, you know, they're probably thinking, oh, God, I'm a bit cold. I need my double duvet on and this and the other. But they're not covered in hair and they're not covered in hair that is fantastically designed to stand up and trap air. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, we have to be quite jealous of these horses. You have, you know, um, coats that are actually designed to, to be that <laughs> duvet. And it's also kind of that understanding that the minute we put that rug on, that hair cannot do its job. It can't stand up and trap that that air to keep the animal warm so in some in some occasions we're actually causing the horse to not be able to adjust its temperature in the best way for the animal so it's always kind of thinking what is the temperature what is the animal you know how old is the animal is it thin skinned is it thick skin you know is it a cold-blooded animal is it something is a fine thoroughbred but you know in the end even like you know your fine thoroughbreds grow long coats if they're left to to grow them naturally and can cope in in out in the winter as long as they've got enough feed so i think it's kind of it's doing that assessment it's you know the the checks like checking at the base of the ears and checking around the armpit of the horse just you know around the side just to see if they're warm enough but thinking from the horse's perspective and not thinking oh i need my double duvet it's it's Mm. what does the horse need and how's it evolved because some horses love them. I know a lovely little Arab pony. I mean, she is just rug me up because <laughs> she hates rain. She hates wind. She hates anything. And she'll stand there. She lo- She absolutely loves her rug. And actually, she doesn't like, you can tell she doesn't like having a rug because she's always stood waiting for it to be on. And she's like shivering and being all dramatic, bless her. And then there are other horses. My horse, not fussed about rug. Really, really couldn't care less. He could probably go all year round without wearing a rug, but... I do put a rug on because I don't want him to get too... I don't want him to get skinny. I don't want him to lose too much weight. So I'm not this person that never rugs her horse. You know, it's like, oh, let's be naked forever kind of thing. But even that slight little bit of difference where I might have 100 grams less 
and she might have 200 grams more it's that difference of opinion that is is there isn't a book that says your horse should be rugged if his temperature's this and it's this breed that's what we need to come up with joe we need like yeah, an excel but... spreadsheet that says like thoroughbred six to nine years six to twelve years old these but rugs unfortunately it, unfortunately it wouldn't even work in that situation because the <laughs> six to nine year old thoroughbred even the one six to nine year old thoroughbred to another six to nine year old thoroughbred would be slightly different you know like you think about you know humans how we we feel the cold differently I think in the end, you know, when you've got that situation, you, you give a prime example, you gave the prime example of the, the little horse that was shivering. I mean, that, that horse obviously is going to appreciate and has acclimatised to, to wearing a rug. And the other thing is, is how you're keeping the horse, because, you know, we have to, to bear in mind, you know, if, if the horse is out moving around, obviously by the nature of walking about, it's creating heat, it's creating warmth because it's moving about. When they're standing around, if they've got a kind of restricted space that they can't move around in as much, or they're not moving around in as much, then they're not going to be able to generate that heat. Mm. So, and and again, with things like food, if the horse has got a constant supply of hay or haylage and it's got that forage or it's out grazing, then they're generating heat by the nature of taking in the food. So the minute, you know, there's that gap where they, you know, they've run out of the hay now or they've whatever, they're not they're not going to be as able to cope with creating the energy that heat so they're going to be using up other other supplies of energy which then have an impact on kind of weight so your your fatties of this world might benefit <laughs> a little bit from being a bit less a little less so you know if you're looking at your horse thinking mm, you're a little bit portly you might be thinking that maybe you're maybe a few less rugs but if your horse is starting to drop condition, then you kind of think, okay, am I feeding feeding enough roughage, enough hay, enough haylage, and mm. maybe you know maybe the horse is feeling the cold a bit. So it's it's unfortunately it is the individual. You know, we're not at this point where we've got these amazing gadgets that we could put on horses. <laughs> so, but you know, you I think you did a fantastic. I think you did a podcast recently on horses now telling people yes about when they're warm yes. and i think you know we're learning all the time there will be this point where horses can go no <laughs> that's amazing so if you haven't heard this podcast it's it's Churid as a scientist and she did a test to see if horses could tell you whether they wanted to rug on a rug off or whether they wanted to stay the same if you had the rug on or rug off um so do get a chance if you get a chance go and listen because that is i every day i think blackjack can you just tell me which rug you want on because i'm so confused because there's just it's again there's so much information out there so much knowledge and it is trial and error and we could have had horses for 15 20 years and then you'll get one that you're still not that quite that sure about whether it's right and and you, again it's the love thing you want to make sure that you're doing the best for your horse and we take pride in that i think we take we take pride in our horses having good condition you know people say oh i've been feeding my horses you know twice a day for the last two months now getting them ready for winter and i always feel awful because blackjack's not being fed yet because he just needs to look at grass and he balloons out so he is quite happy on a bit of haylage every day he's still got loads of grass he's really happy so for him that suits him really well but oh my gosh joe the guilt that i feel when people say but if you're feeding yours in terms of how they're more naturally evolved to to eat in terms of you're feeding them a high roughage diet high fiber diet then that's perfect you know in the in the end it's kind of making sure 
the, and the horses they you know they do tell you in terms of how they look how they're behaving mm-hmm. if things are starting to go go wrong so you know I really don't think you should feel guilty I mean the only thing obviously you always need to just think is is am I you know are the new is the nutrient the nutrients. balance yeah yeah mm-hmm. and I think you know things that have evolved massively in terms of equine nutrition and you know, it's definitely sort of moving back towards what the horse has naturally evolved to in you know high fiber diets which is fantastic because I think for far too long there were there was this sort of you know pump them full of cereals which you know they're not designed to eat they're not designed to kind of live off these straight oats and things like that they're designed to eat fiber <laughs> and you know that's that's you know how the horse is designed and you think you know our findings in terms of research in terms of things like looking at gastric ulcers you know it's only what 20, 10 20 years ago you know you wouldn't have necessarily heard a yard saying well has your horse got gastric ulcers <laughs> but you know this is common common discussions now mm-hmm. so that level of awareness of, of what horses should eat and how they should eat and making sure it's it is that high fiber diet has gone up massively so yeah, we're moving in the right direction so i don't think you should worry <laughs> but oh, thank you well hopefully he thinks the same he's, he's getting a few little handfuls of nutrients now because I've, yeah. I've heard that a few times thought i better better give him some um but bless him he's doing really well so i i think for him yeah okay i'm sure i've you know all my friends on the yard i'm very lucky i'm in a lovely place and i say to them all the time if any of you think that i'm out of line if you think that you know he's he's too overweight he's too underweight well, just tell me because because I, I need to know because I'm not going to get it right all the time. I can't get it right. I was going to say, in terms of your, you know, that's the, the brilliant attitude to have because it's that, I think in anything to do with equine welfare and care, it's that ability to reflect. We all we all need to do it. We all need to kind of think, you know, am I doing this right? You know, asking other people's opinions. I mean, obviously, some people have got fantastic opinions, some people haven't, but asking around and getting other input is really really good because one of the challenges isn't it if you see your horse day in day out you mm. get so familiar with them and sometimes actually a fresh pair of eyes sees your horse in a slightly different light than 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 we you know if you're you're seeing them every day you, yeah. and it's not always easy to see they put on a bit or put a you know lost a bit so you know other eyes are good and it's okay to ask your vet isn't it if you don't feel there is anybody at work or um if you don't feel there's anybody at the yard that you you know you can ask or you might be in a field by yourself please don't take a photo and put it on facebook because you're just asking for disaster because photos don't come out well i took one the other day of me and blackjack and no joke he looks neglected i mean he's very big right now he's certainly not joe neglected but a photo made him it was the angle it was really bizarre and i think with facebook you kind of opening yourself up to criticism where they don't know the full situation so you can get away tape can't you you can yep. um weigh the horse just by putting the tape around his belly and let's send it over to the vet and say look can you is my horse okay or can you come and have a look at him and just give him a bit of an mot yeah well i think you know the, in terms of having a chat with your vet and getting the vet to come out and do an mot you know that's really good that's really good practice because it's your peace of mind as well. You don't want to be, you know, mm-hmm. people don't want to be stressed worrying about the horse. So actually the vet is the right person to ask. In terms of kind of weight tapes, they're fantastic. Unfortunately, it's not necessarily something you'd be able to sort of say accurately and send to your vet because the way the weight tapes work, you need to actually see the whole horse because the weight tape was designed. 
you need to know what's normal for that horse because of the way the way it's been measured. But it, they are very, very useful tools. The other thing you can use is, is body condition scoring, which is something that there's plenty of information out. If you look on many of the, in actual fact, it's in the compendium. <laughs> there's a body condition <laughs> score guide in there. And many of the welfare charities have information about how to body condition score. But that's a really good way to do it because you start to get a feel of how your horse should look. And it's one of those things you can do, you know, you can do when you're grooming. You can do, you know, because obviously you're giving the horse the once over you because you need to make sure you put your hands on the horse and check, because especially when they're hairy, you can't mm. always tell whether there's whether they're getting a bit podgy or a bit a bit skinny. But body condition scoring is really, really helpful way of assessing weight. So how do you do the body conditioning scoring? Well, the best thing to do is, is to have a look at the guide because that will show you the different pictures and images from a point of view of horses that are underweight and it's got it's basically it's naught to five on the score. So naught is the absolute emaciated, probably not long for this world. Hmm. Five is the other extreme in terms of very, you know, over, clinically obese, too overweight. You're really looking at the ideal being about two and a half to three. So two and a half would be your kind of fit sports horse that's out doing a lot of competition. Three is you kind of, you know, would be a, a, a good score. You know, it's more sort of the horse that maybe not in such a fit condition, but is actually of, of a good weight. And how you do it is you basically do an assessment of the front of the horse. This is from the side. So you do kind of like neck to neck to shoulder. Then you do the middle of the horse. So that would be sort of across the back, along the ribs down the back of the shoulder because I'm sure we're all aware, you know, they're like a little bit that can collect fat. And then you also look at the hindquarters. So you'd look at the horse from the side and also from the rear on the hindquarters. So around the tail head, they, they're very good at collecting fat around the tail head. But, you know, if you're looking at a horse that's underweight with the neck, you get that sort of, you can start to get that U shape. Mm. Where the neck, the condition on the top line drops off and you start mm. to get the U-shape bill. Where the horse that's underweight, you really get sort of kind of the angular bit from the bones. You feel the ribs very, you get that sort of toast rack feeling starts to come. And with the with the hindquarters with an under, underweight horse, you, you know, they're very much dropped away. So you, you get a kind of up upturned V. So it's, you know, those sharp angles. With the fat horse, you start to get the opposite in the sense that very overweight horse, you won't be able to find the shoulder. The hand just flies across because mm-hmm. you can't find it anymore because the horse has got too much weight. Things like the um, crest on the horse's, the top of the horse's neck, you know, you get that wobbly crest, you know, that's that's alarm bells. Yeah. If it's wobbly, it's alarm bells. In terms of you're looking at a real crest, you know, you sort of think about stallions having a crest, but, you know, when you get that pony that you put your hands on top of the the, the crest of the mane and your your hand is going and the, there's a good old wobble. Yeah. You want to start thinking this this horse there's a there's a bit of a weight issue here. So really, because I heard that if it was if the crest where the mane is was hard, then they were overweight because they could get laminitis. It can also go hard, but you you will see it sometimes. It's in terms of it's gone hard, but also you will see it where it's very very wobbly. And some with some horses, you can actually see it move. It's you know quite quite extreme. So wow. those are the sorts of alarm bells you want to look out for. And obviously with a with a fat horse, 
the ribs disappear mm -hmm. <laughs> and you can get that apple bottom if you look behind where you actually see a sort of little gutter going down the horse's back and there's sort of nice little fat pads either side so your your ideal horse you'd feel that shoulder you'd be able to just feel the ribs as you put your hands across and you have you know a, a round a round bottom is is fine a right <laughs> round hind quarters but it obviously you, know, you get breed differences as well so mm. it's it's a good thing to get to know to do. So this is all on Compendium and there's pictures and everything so, so we can have a look. Cause there's a guide on the Compendium, but as I said, there are a lot, of the, a lot of the charities also have information out there about good feeding and body condition scoring. So there's plenty of organisations out there that, that can help. Because what I'd really like to avoid is for people to be saying, oh, have you seen her horse? Her horse is so fat, she doesn't know what she's doing. Da, 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 da. It's not about that. We don't want any nastiness. We want to be helping each other in a really nice, positive way and in a kind way. So I love what you said earlier, Joe, about just having a really nice chat with them, saying how they're getting on, you know, just, just kind of, it's almost like fact-finding, isn't it? Trying to get a little bit of information just to see how they're doing. And it could be that, they, that they're really struggling and they don't know. Yeah, but you don't want to be just going over and saying, "Did you know that you have to do this or you have to do that?" It is the toughest, toughest situation. Joe, thank you so much for all your amazing information on about on welfare. It's such a complex business that that we're talking about here, and it's forever changing. So, how can we stay up to date with the changes of the compendium? And maybe if we want to give any feedback of what we think of it, is there a website we can head to? Well, the National Equine Welfare Council website will have updates in terms of what's happening because th this is a, a project that will happen over probably about a year to, to, to two years. So in terms of that, have a look at the current compendium. If you've got any feedback, we'd all be very keen to, to know. So the National Equine Welfare Council will be, but also myself from, from a point of view of helping them with that work. So you know, if, if you do have any feedback, get in touch with nuke or get in touch with myself at progressive ideas i have a website which is www.progressiveideas.org so have a look on that but please you know feedback is fantastic because in the end it's trying to make sure that it's something that's really useful for people going forwards and that can help everybody who you know whoever they are in terms of horse ownership and care thanks so much joe see you bye-bye Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the first episode of 2017. To be honest, I can't believe we're here. I mean, Christmas, New Year just went by so quickly. But now it's time to make plans for this year. Your eventing calendar, your dressage calendar. What are you going to be doing in 2017? I'd love for you to share your journey with us this year. What are your New Year's resolutions? I know that I have decided to be a little bit more confident this year. I'm going to try a little bit of jumping with Blackjack. And uh, because, bless him over Christmas he did so well I managed to canter around the school three times which may not sound a lot but for a horse that was told he could never be ridden again the last couple of years he's built up so much strength I was so so proud that he managed to keep a canter going so our aims for this year are maybe to get out to a competition a little unaffiliated competition we'll see if we can do a walk and trot test and I'm hoping by the end of the year if his strength continues and his injury his previous injury 
injury doesn't affect him, then uh, we might even be able to manage a prelim, which would just be so exciting. So what are your plans? Are you uh, jumping a higher level? Are you going to take part in a competition that you haven't done before? Or is it just about spending quality time, more quality time for your horse? Because I don't know about you, but 2016 for me was insanely busy and uh, there was so much time working. It would be really nice to have a little bit more time with with Blackjack. So tell me what your plans are for 2017. You can tweet me. I'm at Amy Stevenson one Horse Hour is at Horse Hour. And uh, you can also send us some videos on Facebook and Instagram. I'd really love to see your journey this year. I'll speak to you soon. You've been listening to Horse Hour. Join the community on Twitter, Mondays, 8pm UK time, 3pm Eastern by using the hashtag HorseHour. Follow Amy at AmyStevenson1 and subscribe to us on Acast, iTunes, Stitcher and Player FM. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 